Well, good morning. Good morning, three of you. The rest of y'all are having a tough morning. Turn to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. We are continuing our series this summer through the Beatitudes. And as a, as a reminder, as a context, let me tell you uh, what Jesus is doing or saying here. He uh, is, is teaching. This is his first sermon, his first main opportunity to teach. And he is teaching to the Jewish people, his audience. He's got uh, regular just Jewish citizens. He's got Jewish religious leaders. And he is, he is he's laying out to them what a Christian, what a follower of Jesus looks like. And he's doing so in an environment where he's highly religious, highly Jewish, and the, the, the religious leaders of the time have been waiting for a Messiah to come. They've been waiting for somebody like Jesus to come, who, who is a Messiah. And this Messiah was to come, and he was going to rescue them from their life. He was going to rescue them from being controlled and ruled by Rome. And Jesus comes, and this is his first opportunity to teach, and he unpacks things that make zero sense to an audience looking for a Messiah to rescue them. He's talking about being poor in spirit, mourning, being meek, not being strong, being meek, hungering and thirsting for righteousness, not for victory, not for comfort, not for peace. And this morning we come to our text in verse 9 of Matthew chapter 5, Another verse that makes zero sense to the audience listening. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. This audience did not want to hear anything about peace. They wanted a conquering king to come and save them and rescue them. And Jesus has something completely different to teach them and to show them. Forty years ago, 40 years ago, a treaty was signed. This treaty was called the Camp David Accords. We had President Jimmy Carter of the United States, President Sadat of Egypt, and Prime Minister Begin of Israel. With three world leaders together, after 13 days of negotiations, a significant and historic moment occurred. These three leaders of the world signed a treaty. Now the significance of this is that is that Egypt had been a state who declare, had a, a declared war on Israel since 1948. So for 30 years, they'd been at war with, with, with Israel. They did not like Israel. Egypt is an, is an Arab nation. And so this, this was a huge deal, a huge deal that, that Israel and an Arab nation sat down. And now it's even bigger that they've signed a treaty to say that they will no longer uh, be at war There'll be peace in the Sinai Peninsula between Egypt and Israel. And this was to lay the groundwork. This was to lay the groundwork that, to, to say that, that peace was possible in the Middle East. That, that peace, that future peace could happen in the Middle East. As we all know, we can watch the news and we can see all the wars that have happened and all the struggles that have happened and all the chaos that has happened in the Middle East, and we know that peace is nowhere near happening in the Middle East. But this was supposed to lay the groundwork for that. 
Both Sadat and Begin shared the Nobel Peace Prize in 1978. And two years later, President Sadat of Egypt was assassinated by Islamic Egyptians who didn't like his dealings with, with Israel. And you think about the Middle East today, clearly no peace has happened. So this type of peace that, that they were trying to, to manufacture, this peace that said uh, no more fighting, this peace that, that we are familiar with in this world isn't the peace that Jesus is talking about when he says, blessed are the peacemakers. Because see, a, a peace that what we understand in the world, it requires two sides to come together to agree on not fighting. But the problem with that is that two sides are both uh, messed up people, sinful people, problem people who have agendas and have personal things they want to gain. And so peace that, that Jesus is talking about here is, is not the same thing. And that the peace that, that, that the world offers is always temporary. It does not last. And it's not the true peace. Remember that, that Jesus is preaching to and speaking to an audience, and he's laying out for them, and I've, I, he's laying out for them what a Christian or a follower of Jesus looks like. So he's, he's describing for them. So, so for us this morning, if we are all followers of Jesus in this room, if we know Jesus as our Lord and Savior, then we can read the Beatitudes, and we can read the Sermon on the Mount, and, and look at it as if it's a mirror, and hold it up and say, am I following Jesus? Am I loving Jesus above everything else. And so our, our big idea this morning, our big idea this morning is that the Christian, the follower of Jesus is a peacemaker because peace has been made for him with God through Jesus. The Christian is a peacemaker because peace has been made for him with God through Jesus. And that's our big idea. We're, we're going to build on that this morning. And so there's four points this morning. And these points are, uh, are fairly simple. I, I, Brad, I went alliteration on three out of the four. I got to the fourth one, and the rebel in me just said I can't do it. <laughs> Plus, I couldn't think of a word. But if you think of a word, don't yell it out to me. All right, so the first, the first we've got the four, the four points are we have a foundation. What's the foundation of everything we do as believers? The next point will be the fight of a peacemaker. What's the, what's the fight of a peacemaker? The third will be a, the fruit of the peacemaker. And the final one will be the proclamation of the peacemaker. Now you guys are looking at the points up top and they don't follow along with those words and that's okay because I'm going to use both, okay? So here's our first point. A Christian is a peacemaker because Jesus has made peace with God. And this is our foundation. This is our foundation as followers of Jesus, See, last week, in, our verse, in verse 8, it says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And we learned that the heart of man is wicked. The Scripture says that there's nothing good in the heart of man, in the, in the flesh heart of man. That does not mean he doesn't do good things. But when the Bible talks about good, and it says that, that nothing good in me He's not talking about uh, moral things or uh, nice things. He's talking about righteousness. There's a, there's a big difference there. And there is no righteousness in us as, as, as human beings. 
Scripture also says that we were enemies of God without Jesus. That sin that is in us, that we're born with, makes us enemies of God, separated from Him. See, sin broke the relationship with Adam and Eve back in Genesis in the Garden of Eden. And because of that, we're also, our relationship is broken with God. It's carried through to us. That relationship between God and man is broken because of sin. And as enemies of God, then that everything we do, everything we do, outside of Jesus, outside of knowing Jesus as Savior, of Him rescuing us, no matter how good we are, is against God. So I, I, maybe a different way to say that is, that is that before knowing Jesus, everything we did was about ourselves and was for ourselves. We lived for ourselves. Every act was to, to, to please us, to help us, to gain ground for us and us alone. And everything we did was to serve one God, and that was the God of self. But here we have God creator, God who is holy, God who is righteous, God who is glorious, God who is majestic, God who is beautiful and powerful, all-knowing, this God, and we have us, selfish, lust-filled, pleasure-seeking, idol-worshiping, broken-hearted, there's the separation between the two because of sin. And because of sin, there's this constant strife, this constant struggle. And everything we do is just digging that hole deeper away from God because that's what sin does. Think back in your life quickly about the, the, the time before you met Jesus. Maybe you were Maybe you, were, you, you met Jesus when you were young, and it would be impossible for you to think of this. But what about if you were 18, 20, 25, and you met Jesus? Was there real peace in your life, or was there strife? Was there struggle? Was there hope in your life, or was it just living the day, living the moment? And I, I, I would say, just even in my experience, that, that there was no peace. I knew something was wrong. And that's because of sin. Sin corrupts peace. It doesn't allow peace to exist. They can't coexist together. Peace and sin cannot be together. But that, see, that's, that's, the, that's the bad news of the foundation. But here's the good news. Turn to Romans chapter 5. It'll be up on the screen. Romans chapter 5, in verse 1, it says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith... We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus' audience is, is, is speaking to the, to the follower of Jesus, to the Christian, to the believer. And this morning, I'm speaking specifically to believers this morning. The audience is that of, of Christians. And so when we read Romans 5, verse 1, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We're no longer enemies as followers of Jesus. We're now with God. Jesus made peace with God. We're no longer at war against God. Jesus has made a bridge for us to the Father 
through his blood. Colossians 1, 19 and 20 says, For in him, Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven. So all things making peace by the blood of his cross. Making peace by the blood of his cross. The cross made peace for you and I. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's good news this morning. That's great news this morning. So we're no longer enemies. We're not at war against him. We're not, we're not opposite of him, but we're with him. He has brought us in. And we're now at peace with him. We've, we've been adopted. We've been cherished. We, we are cherished and we are loved, but only because of Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5.18, it'll be on the screen. It says, all this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself. Jesus' work on the cross, he has reconciled us. He's made us with a right relationship with God. This is the foundation of a peacemaker. This is the foundation of, of a Christian. So what, what Jesus is saying is that a Christian, a follower of Jesus, is a peacemaker. What, a follower of Jesus is a peacemaker. So are you a peacemaker this morning? Are you ready to throw something at me? Well, there's a good answer. Are you a peacemaker? It's a good way to tell if you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus. You have that, that innate struggle to, or the desire to, to fight, to, to disagree, to argue. I grew up in a house where argument was normal. Arguing was normal. I have two brothers and a sister, and we fought all the time. So much so that when I started dating Jamie, she's like, what the heck is wrong with your family? Like, that wasn't normal for her, but it was normal for us. Like, around the table, we just yell and argue and fight. And, 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 in, and then we got married, and it carried over into our marriage. And she's like, what's wrong with you? Why do you have to fight about everything? It doesn't matter if the eggs go this way or this way or whatever. I just wanted to fight, and I wanted to argue because I enjoyed it. Because that's what I grew up with. But, but see, that's not being a peacemaker. That's the opposite. And some of us, as, as proclaiming Christians, some of us have this desire just to argue. We just want to fight. We don't know why it is there, but it's, it's there. And, and the reason it's there is because of sin. So this is a great way to see if you're a follower of Jesus, but also if you're living a life of sin. Are you living in sin? Or maybe, are you a Christian at all? And remember what, we're, what Jesus, if you weren't here last week, when, when Jesus is, is preaching about and teaching about these things, being poor in spirit and mourning and, and meek and hunger and thirsting for righteousness and being merciful and pure in heart and peacemakers, he's not talking specifically about physical acts. He's not, going, he's not saying, okay, now go sell everything so that you can be poor in spirit. No, he's talking about the spiritual side of the person. And so you and I are peacemakers. Yes, it comes out in our life, but are we at peace with ourselves? Are we at peace with God, or do we still have that desire to, to argue and to fight? And, and, and let me be clear here. It does not mean that the Christian is always 
at peace or always feels at peace. Sometimes, sometimes things get really hard. Sometimes sin in this world corrupts or, or damages us. And sometimes we just we, we, we feel we're not at peace. And that, that's, that's sin because you and I aren't perfect, and we're not perfect yet. Not yet. So our, our, our second point this morning, the fight, is a peacemaker fights for what is true and right. And the, the, I've got like this, this much of, I don't know, some people would argue, but I'm going to say like this much of creativity in me. Like, and, and so the creative in me was like, yeah, peacemaker, fight, perfect, let's do it. I'll figure it out. Well, here's the truth. Peacemaking for the, for the Christian may be a violent endeavor. In fact, it will be in a violent endeavor. Let me, let me explain. Because of Jesus, he's making peace with us, peace with God for us through his blood. We're no longer the same person that we were before Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. You're a new creation. You're a new man, so to speak. And the Scripture says that the Christian, they're new creation. They're new people, and the old is still there. The old is still in us. Calls it the flesh. It's that, it's that, that desire that pops in to, to fight and to argue and to, 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 to push. That old man is, is still there. And, and yet, we have that, that old man in us. We, we get it. We, it comes, it pops its head up with, with the temptations and, and selfishness and uh, moments when, when peace is the, is the best answer. Maybe being quiet is the best policy or the best time or thing to do at the moment. And yet, we argue we have some snarky response because we got to have the last word, or we throw insults out. That, that, if you're a follower of Jesus, that's, that's the, old, the old Chris coming out, or the old Michael, the old Brad. That's, that's not the new man that you are in Christ Jesus. But because of, of, of having and being a new creation, we can forget about the old man. We can push aside that old man. We, can, we have victory over that old man. That old man doesn't have to win. He doesn't have to voice out. He doesn't have to yell. He doesn't have to argue. He doesn't have to do those things. Because of Christ, we have victory. We have strength to stand and to fight against him and allow him. No more victory. No more win in our life. And we're given that strength. We're given strength to forget to push away. And because of that, a peacemaker can stop asking the question. He can stop asking the question, how does this affect me? How, what am I going to get out of this? If I do this, if I give of my time, what, what's it going to do for me? See, because we're peacemakers, because we're followers of Jesus, because we're new creations, and we're no longer that, that old man, we can stop asking that question, and we can fight, and we can love, and we can die to that old self, putting aside, forgetting, 
and become a selfless servant who lives for someone else, not for themselves. There will come a time, there will come a time when, when, when we've, we've beaten the old man forever. When Jesus returns, like, we'll be perfect. We'll no longer have to deal with that. And there'll, become a, there'll come a time when, when we'll be walking this life out and we'll feel like this has been the greatest three weeks of my life. I have done everything the Lord has asked. I'm walking in the Spirit. I am following His, 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 His words. I'm obedient. This is great. And there'll become a time as a peacemaker that you'll need to stand and you'll need to fight for truth and righteousness. And you'll throw your hands up and go, what the heck? I've had the best three weeks of my life. Now I've got to do this. But that's called following Jesus. And so the peacemaker also has to fight for truth and righteousness. Do you remember Jesus cleansing the temple? You guys remember that story where he throws the tables over? Well, he's not throwing the tables over to make a point. He's not throwing the tables over to say, look at me. Look how strong I am or whatever. He's not throwing the tables over to, 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 to drop the mic, so to speak. He's throwing the tables over because he's standing for truth. He, he stands for truth because what they were doing, what the people were doing that he was mad at, he says, God's house was meant to be a house of prayer, and you have made it a den of robbers. And they were stealing from the Jewish people. They were charging them an exorbitant amount of money in order to come and worship. Buy this to make a sacrifice, and buy this to make a sacrifice. They were robbing the people. And God, and Jesus, his, his house was to be a house of prayer, a house of worship, not a place to, to rob people. And he stood for truth. Peace only comes from God and his righteousness. That's why Jesus could stand for truth. He stood for righteousness. He stood for what is right. Therefore, the, the, the peace and the peace, the true peace that we receive in Christ Jesus always is accompanied by truth and righteousness. They're never apart. So for us, followers of Jesus, in our lives, there is truth and righteousness, and there is peace. It's, truth and righteousness are far more important than our comforts. And there's going to be a time where we're going to have to stand it's far more important than, than our social status. It's far more important than keeping the peace like the, the Camp David Accords. There's, it's far more important than being right. Truth and righteousness is far more important than those things and so many more. And a peacemaker, a Christian, cannot bring peace without righteousness. And that righteousness only comes from Jesus. Therefore, Jesus is the only hope. He is the only hope for peace in this world. He is the only hope that your neighbor has for having peace. And, and in this moment, in this world we live in, to undermine truth, to undermine righteousness, by, by cutting theological corners in order to be more socially relevant, 
and I'm not going to name the subjects, but you know what I'm talking about, is not peaceful. To say that this is no longer true in Scripture because it's 2,000 years old is not peaceful. That is evil and sinful. We live in Midtown Memphis, Tennessee, and the churches around us, those that call themselves Christian churches around us, are, are straying from biblical doctrines that have been around for hundreds and thousands of years. You, think, you say, no, they're not that big a deal. They're just loving people. No, it is a big deal. And Mercy Hill Church will always be a church where we stand on biblical truths no matter what, biblical doctrines no matter what, in order, in order to be peacemakers in the world, in order to present the only hope that they have in Jesus, who is our rock and our foundation. Another area to fight is to, to see the world and circumstances through the lens of the gospel. <clears throat> that means that there's, there are no chance happenings. There are no chance happenings. World events have a purpose. We can ask the question, what is God teaching through this? What is he trying to show us through this circumstance or this world event or this uh, catastrophe? How does this have implications on the gospel or how does the gospel have implications to, towards this? We can ask these questions. We can fight for this. See, hopelessness leads to the need for hope and it leads to hope. War can lead to the need for peace, can lead to Jesus. It's only by having a biblical view, a gospel-centered view, where we can show people peace. We can show them peace, and we can proclaim peace to them. Positivity and truces and passivity, all of those aren't options for the Christian we, can't, we have to stand. We have to fight. We have to love as followers of Jesus. We just can't be all positive. Sometimes we have to be harsh for truth. And sometimes we have to be harsh in viewing circumstances as what they are. Christianity is, is an active life. There's no, there's no passive living as a Christian. There's no neutral. As much as we want it, as much as we want to just be, we want to just sit and, 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 and do a couple things and that's it. But see, God is an active God and he's called us to be active behind him and with him. We follow him and it requires us to have a gospel-centered view and open hands and say, whatever you lead us, God, we are there and we are doing. A Christian fights the old self to live a peacemaking life. He fights for truth and righteousness, and he fights to see life through the lens of the gospel, no matter what. So how are you viewing your life right now? How, how are you viewing your life and your circumstances right now? Have you given up fighting? Are you tired of fighting? There's no need to give up because that fighting leads to peace and is peaceful when it's all said and done. Our third point this, this morning, or the fruit 
is a peacemaker provides peace with one another. See, I, I'm going to disappoint you here. Uh, we haven't been given peace. We haven't been saved by God for, for ourselves alone. As much as we want to, it's not the Chris show. Or, you know, it's not fill-in-the-blank, your name show. You weren't, you weren't saved. You weren't born again. You weren't rescued from your sin for yourself. You were rescued for something else. We've been saved. We've been rescued to be part of a family, to glorify God Almighty together, a family whose purpose is to live in such a way that people who aren't part of the family want to join that's what the church was called to do. Jesus says in John, they will know you, they will know that you're my disciple by your love for one another. That means the love that the church has, the love that, that this church has and other churches have is the greatest form of evangelism. That they will know you are my disciples by the love you have for one another. That's, that's a little different than what we're used to hearing. So how does this work? Turn to Ephesians chapter 2. Starting in verse 13, we're going to read a few verses. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Did you hear some of that language? You're far off. You are enemies of God, but you have been brought near through the blood of Jesus. You're no longer separated from him, but you are with him. You're no longer far off, but you have been brought near. That's good news. Chapter 1 in Ephesians says that, uses language like adopted chosen, you're holy, you're blameless, you're forgiven. And what we just read, you're no longer strangers, you're no longer aliens, you're now one nation, one household, there's one membership. See, the church can be the greatest testimony because he's taken complete strangers, things that we have nothing in common and brought them together. The hostility is gone. The differences don't matter. But sadly, we know the opposite in the world around us. We tend to know, we tend to know churches and, and Christians or people who claim to be Christians who are the exact opposite of this. I know, you're probably thinking of somebody right now. 
but, or some a group. But think about it. Strangers, different backgrounds, different likes, different families, different experiences. If you look around this room, I know there's at least one person you go, man, I wouldn't be their friend if it wasn't for Jesus. That's okay because we're completely different. It's okay. We wouldn't do anything together. That's okay because Jesus has brought us together. That's the beautiful thing about the gospel. That's the beautiful thing. Our peace binds us together so that we can show the world that there's hope. So we can show the world and say, hey, there is hope. There can be peace. Stop fighting those invisible fights. Stop trying to do things that you think can can satisfy you. Look, we've had nothing in common, but we love each other unconditionally. We can say those things. We were far off, but God made us near. He brought us in. We were broken, but Jesus fixed us. We were lost in ourselves, and Jesus Jesus rescued us from ourselves. So we have nothing in common in a lot of cases, and yet we have everything in common. Peace among God's people is produced when we act like we've been saved by grace. When we act like we've been saved by an all-powerful God who treasures us, who pursued us, and who paid the price for us, because we have. Because we have. A peacemaker isn't a passive person who avoids conflict. In the church, specifically, is what I'm speaking to. A peacemaker isn't somebody who just says, "Eh, it's okay, we'll just let it go, we'll just... Sweep it under the rug. We'll worry about that later. He isn't a person who, who manufactures a lack of strife for the, for, the, for the sake of conflict or the sake of comfort. I'm sorry. Remember, a peacemaker is driven by who he is in Christ and by that righteousness. So sometimes correction and challenge needs to occur. Correction and challenge needs to occur for growth in the Christian See, a a peacemaker understands who he is. A Christian should understand who he is, that he's no longer the old self, that he is a new creation. He strives to restore right relationships with one another in the church, and more importantly, with God. The Bible calls this the ministry of reconciliation. And finally, our last point, the proclamation A peacemaker proclaims Jesus to a hostile world. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18 says, should be on the screen, all this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself not counting the trespasses against them and trusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. There are people around us. There are people next to you on the on the bus, next to you on the street, next to you on your street, the house next to you, across the street. There are people around us who are living in a constant life of strife and hostility. They may not look like it. 
Maybe it's, it's because of poverty. Maybe it's because of family dynamics. Maybe it's because of fear. But whatever the case may be, they're living in this life. They're living in a life of no peace and hostility. And even if their life circumstances seem calm, even if they seem peaceful, those around us who don't know Jesus don't have peace. They don't have peace. See, we do. And they're living with hostility, and yet we have peace. And we're able to live with that peace. And therefore, a peacemaker strives to introduce people to Jesus to restore their relationship with the Father so they can have peace that you and I have. See, a peacemaker has compassion. A peacemaker has compassion on the people around them. There's a difference between compassion and pity. You know the difference? Pity, pity is looking down on somebody saying, oh, I wish they were like me, or I wish, you know, all they would need is just a little bit, and they can be more like me. No, compassion is seeing them where they are and seeing them as, as God sees them. So no matter who they are, if they're poor or if they're rich, if they're black or if they're white, if they're tall or if they're short, having compassion on somebody is seeing them the way that God sees them, the way that God saw you. We need to have compassion on people next to us and around us. And we can say, I know where you are. I know where you are, and I've been there, spiritually speaking. That, that hostility, that tension that you live with, I've been there. See, a peacemaker is, is patient. He's gracious. He's selfless. There's a call for all of us to help those around us come to know Jesus. Do you want other people around you to have that peace that you have? Do you want people around you to know the peace? Do you want to be a peacemaker? Because what Jesus is saying is that if you follow me, you are a peacemaker. See, a peacemaker proclaims the hope we have in Jesus with a peace that passes all understanding. A peacemaker is, is rooted in a foundation of knowing Jesus. We know who Jesus is, we know what he's done for us, and we know who we are. A peacemaker fights for truth and righteousness. A peacemaker produces unity, and a peacemaker proclaims Jesus. See, Jesus has invited us to join him in his ministry. And that, that's a high call. He's invited us to join him. And he's also invited us to celebrate. He calls this church together to worship, to celebrate. And this morning, as we've sung songs and we've lifted Jesus' name up and we've, we've cried out, holy, 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 he's invited us to do that for a purpose, to proclaim Jesus out loud. But this isn't the end. Sunday morning is not the end. The end is Monday through Saturday, going out. What do we do? We proclaim Jesus because he's invited us to join him. And this morning, he's inviting us to celebrate at the Lord's Supper. See, this bread and, and this juice is just that. You could go to Walmart, you can go to Fresh Market, you can go to any store, and you can buy bread and you can buy juice. But Jesus set this up for us as a symbol 
of what he has done on the cross for us. That because of this bread, which represents his body, and because of this blood, this juice that represents his blood, we have peace. We have peace with him, and we have peace with God because of his sacrifice. And because of this sacrifice, we have a desire and a need and a, and a purpose to tell people about him. And so this morning, as you come and take the Lord's Supper, you're proclaiming to the people around you in action that you're at peace, that, that, that Jesus is everything. And so when you come, you come and you take a piece of the bread and you dip it in the juice, and you eat of it, and you're remembering what Jesus has done on the cross. So as, as you come, I'm going to pray for us. I'm going to call the band up. Actually, band, come on up. I'm going to pray for us. And as you come, remember what Jesus has done and remember that peace that you have in Jesus. Therefore, this time, this Lord's Supper, is for believers. It's for followers of Jesus, for those who, who know him, 